Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Learning Out Loud. Today, we're joined by Erica Barr, a 2009 graduate of Brigham Young University, 2022 Business Analytics Program graduate, and a current Master's of Science Business Analytics candidate at the UVA Darden School of Business. Erica is also the founder and CEO of Invest Capital AI, a full-stack data-driven investing platform integrating human insights with machine learning-based models. Invest Capital AI empowers founders and VC firms alike with the data they need to improve and make successful investment decisions. We spoke with Erica about why she started Invest Capital AI, how her modeling system works, and what's coming down the pike. Enjoy. So I was um, starting Invest Capital AI at the time. I uh, met Damon. Damon um, DeVito, did, did Sophie tell you about Damon? Yeah, yeah, a few people have. Okay, yeah, he was amazing. Um, he, I just met him saying like, hey, I'm starting this company and I just want to get more of your advice and insights on the process. And he really kind of helped me and guided me along like what that was going to take. Um, so my story kind of starts way back when I was younger, like in my childhood, my mom didn't feel empowered as a woman. And so that was really troubling to me. As I got a little bit older, I decided that I was going to do everything I could to empower myself and empower other women in the process and to help women feel empowered in whatever they were passionate about. And so I was in the Harvard Business Analytics program and I saw incredible women that were changing industries. Like they were just going in and starting a company and in the process, they were really shifting the way that that particular industry saw women. One person um, that I know, she was starting an AI company in construction that helped to do teaming and help more diversification of the teams, bringing more women into the construction leadership environment, hmm. um, which is predominantly male in that industry. And she started kind of being my mentor, helping me along the path as well. And then just several women over and over again, I saw them doing incredible things. And so I spoke at graduation and my speech was centered around empowering women. And then a lot of people came up to me afterwards and they were like, so we want to support your cause. Like we want to help. And at the time I didn't really have like a platform for that. And, and so I was like, yes, I, I want to empower women, but I didn't have a way to do that at the time. Um, and so when I was doing the venture or I, it was actually a Darden program. So when I was doing the um, Darden bootcamp, the VC bootcamp, I heard that female entrepreneurs only received 2.3% of all venture capital funding. And I was shocked, right? Like, that's so terrible that uh, out of all of these billions of dollars of venture capital funding, women were only, women entrepreneurs were only receiving 2.3% of it. And of course, like, I'm into data. And so dived into it a little bit deeper. And women had a higher chance of getting funding if they partnered with a male co-founder. So they had a 13% higher chance of getting funding if they had a male on their team. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. Like women should be able to be funded for just being women and for having an incredible idea and they shouldn't have to dilute their equity 
by getting a male co-founder. And so um, that's where I was like, okay, I want to create machine learning models to help predict whether a startup will be successful or not. And I have spent the past 10 years working in the corporate world, connecting data pipelines, and really seeing machine learning working at scale for these huge companies. And so I was like, well, this can totally apply to a startup. This can apply to a company. They just aren't leveraging data because they don't know how. They haven't seen it work at scale. They don't know all the tools to use and it just needs to get down to their level. And so I started doing an interview here and there and I talked to Damon and Damon was like, well, you need to interview VCs. You need to get more insights into their industry and why they're having such a hard time with gathering this data so that they can actually do what you're proposing. And so started talking to more and more VCs. And it was funny at the time, I was like, I don't know any VCs. And Damon's like, well, go look them up, go find some. And I started out with like the ones I had met at the VC boot camp. And then I realized very quickly, it's a highly networked industry and they would connect me to other VCs. And then it was just kind of like a snowball effect after that. And I'd go back to Damon, I'd be like, oh, I interviewed five VCs. He's like, okay, great, go get some more. And then I would go and get like 10 VCs. And he was like, oh, that's great. Go get some more. And then I was like, how many VCs do you think I should interview? And he was like, well, you know, as many as you can, at least 30 or 40. And at the time I was like, whoa, I thought I did a really good job with like (laughs) interviewing 10 or 20. And then I like, once I just got into it and I realized I had surpassed interviewing like 55 VCs and wow. now I'm like interviewing VCs multiple times a week um, just trying to understand their pain points and then now actually like selling them a product and so it was interesting how I started kind of helping Cov Angels with their due diligence process at first I just was an observer like I went in saw how they did due diligence and I put one of their startups through the model, the machine learning model that um, I had built in collaboration with a team at Stanford and then also um, with a Berkeley student who I hired to work with me and he did an incredible job. We built this awesome platform together and um, entered a couple of the competitions at the at UVA. And then I put the Cav Angel startups through the model and then presented it in the due diligence report. And at the time, Elizabeth was like, okay, we don't know if we trust the model yet. Like, we don't know. And so she took it out. And I was like, okay, just tell me like what needs to improve. And Rich was saying that he wanted to see more prediction levels. At the time, it was like a binary prediction model. So it could predict whether a company would multiply by 3x or not. Hmm. And so I I was like, he's like, I want more predictions. Like, could it multiply by 5x? Could it multiply by 10x? Like, I want to know that information. And so I was like, okay, kind of back to the drawing board. Like, let's rebuild a model. Let's scrap the old one. And um then just kind of like started building a brand new model 
And then at, also at the time, as I was doing due diligence with them, I started doing due diligence on other companies and just saw that like, there's a lot of AI tools that can be used in the due diligence process that VCs just don't even know about. And so I started doing web scraping to compare brands and, and to see how competitive a startup's brand was compared to web searches of their competitors and being able to compare them and rank them. And just like if they had any questions about being nervous about a competitor, I could just put them in the model and show them all of the, the searches online that were being done in the past five years for that particular brand. And then there were just so many other things like now you can do video processing. You can put uh, pitch video into a model and do sentiment analysis on it and see how confident the startup is and that actually affects their prediction on whether they will be successful or not. And I started finding a lot of other research and other universities that were doing very similar research and finding these predictions as well that um, highly confident, positive video pitches were getting more funding. And then startups could actually put their video into our model and they could see how happy it ranked them. And if it was low, then they could improve and they could work to make it better. And so my goal in building all of these tools was to help female VCs become more competitive or sorry, help female VCs, but also help female entrepreneurs become more competitive when they go out for VC funding. So I wanted to make the playing field a little bit more even. And then um, as I was, I frequently go to conferences now because a lot of VCs are, as I mentioned, they're highly networked and I have met so many at conferences and that is like the place where I continually meet more and more. Um, while I was at a conference in DC, I met a lawyer and he was like, what are you building? What are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm building, you know, these models to predict whether startups will be successful. And I have all these AI tools that I use to help predict their success and, and then also to help them get better. And he was like, oh, well, I actually do that. I mean, I am helping startups to get VC funding and I legalize the companies. Like I will do the legal diligence on them. And do you think your tool could, I could use your tool. Like it could help me in my workflow and my process. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Let's talk. And we had a meeting later and he's building one of the most innovative law firms for startups. Like he really, he's won several awards. Um, he has a lot of tools and resources for startups. They come to him very early stage. He incorporates their company um, and then he will help them with all the legal documentation of onboarding, hiring, and um, he was looking for a data room. And, so, and he wanted, and of course, like our goal was to build a data room that used natural language processing to extract the data and be able to run it through the model. And so while I was in San Francisco, this is after I had talked to this lawyer, um, I was in a VC meeting and there was someone else waiting to meet with the same VC. And 
I thought he was the VC. So I started pitching to him and he's like, no, 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 I'm not actually <laughs> the VC, but it's cool. Your idea is cool. And I was like, oh, that's fine. Like, what is your startup? You're an entrepreneur. Like, what's your startup? And he said, I'm building this data room that can integrate every type of file. Like you have a box account, you have Dropbox, you have like an S3 Amazon bucket. Like I can integrate all of them. It's like easy drag and drop. And I was like, okay, perfect. like that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> can I see it? And so he pulled up his laptop and he showed me it. And like, okay, you need this like right now. I need this. I have a meeting next week with this lawyer. Like I need this right now. And then he's like, okay, well, let's go get dinner and we'll like talk about this. So we went to dinner. I showed him the models and how it predicted the startups. I showed him some of the AI tools. And then the next weekend, we met with a lawyer and the data room in conjunction with the AI tools. And we're and we started building out that integration. And we're right now in the process of having or he's like testing the tools right now. Um, we are able to like scan all of the legal documents that are put into the data room and be able to give like an investor ready checklist of like, yes, you have this particular document that will make you investor ready. You have this one, you have this one, and it's through like the lawyer satisfaction and then we also started building in like an ai chatbot into the data room so if the startups have questions as they're uploading their data the AI chatbot will have a little conversation with them tell them where to put files it will then direct to the lawyer's slack channel so it'll directly go from the ai chatbot if they say want to talk to my lawyer then it goes to the lawyer's slack room um, and so it's a very exciting time. Um, we applied to Techstars and got an interview um, to the Tel Aviv office. And wow. they called us. The reason we targeted Tel Aviv was because it's a very entrepreneurial world. And they go global. They really want to get our startup out of their country it's a very small country and they want to make startups globally known and so our goal in targeting the tel aviv tech stars was to really target a large saturated pool of startups that were interested in scaling quickly because another thing that we are integrating into the data room is the startup's ability to scale their data so they can integrate HubSpot, they can integrate their QuickBooks, they can integrate any wow. um, of their tools and it will just gather their data and create data visualizations for them so that then they can give their investors up-to-date, real-time, instant dashboards without having to spend hours and hours downloading all the data, creating reports every month, just automatically feeds it to their investors. Um, so it saves startups a ton of time. And they are able to just spend that time wasted doing things that will help their company grow. And we just kind of take care of that for them. And so, yeah, it's a very exciting time. That's kind of where we are. Do you have any other questions about the startup or my co-founder or like how we're progressing so far? We have 27,000 users on the in the data room 
It's wow. ranked 4.5 stars. So people love it, which is great. And we're constantly making it better every day, literally every day. We have them each night at 930 because my co And so uh, we met in San Francisco and then he flew back to India. And so we meet at night because that's how we can make the time zone work. And then, um, yeah, we're just constantly innovating. Yeah, that's that's definitely awesome. Um, thank you so much for that overview. I definitely have a lot of questions yeah. um, about the actual okay. model. I don't know how much you could actually share. But one of my first questions was something that you were saying at the very start. Um, when Damon kept telling you to go back and interview the VCs, and then you finally interviewed like 50, how did you go from having their data that they gave you and then turning that into this like what was the process there how did you go about that yeah no that's a great question and at first like my first interview with a VC I didn't even know what to say like it was really funny because VCs are very intimidating I think they thought maybe I was going to give a pitch or something and so we get on the call and they're like okay what do you do and I was like well I I'm building something it hasn't been built yet but I like want to hear your thoughts and I want to get feedback from you on if this would be useful or not. I want to hear your pain points as a VC. And it was a really funny conversation because I could totally tell I caught him off guard and they're like, okay, wait, so you don't have a product. I was like, no, no, I'm building it. But like, I just want to know. And then the more the conversation progressed, the more they were like, whoa, like this is really cool. Like we could use this. This is interesting. Um, and so a lot of them were like, okay, well, come back to me when you have product, when you have something to show me, because like, I can kind of understand what you're saying, but I need to see it. And so that's when I was like, okay, I think I actually show them what this can be and what this can do for them. And that's when the first model got built. Wow. Yeah, that is awesome. So and it was also interesting because I, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So it was also interesting because of course, like I was bringing up the female part of it too, that females were not getting funded by VCs and really trying to understand why that was not happening. And I got some really interesting answers, right? Because I'm talking directly to the VCs, like why is, why are females not getting funded? And I talked to so many, like I even had an interview with Andreessen Horowitz, right? And the, they told me that they weren't getting enough females in the pipeline. Like they weren't getting enough female entrepreneurs to the point that they could actually even see them. They just didn't have enough in their pipeline. Others said there are industry biases, right? There's a lot of industry bias um, that needs to be over is behind in the way that they view females and how a business can be produce and make and then some others said like hey we're working on it right now like being women and our fund does that even if other funds are not doing that like we're progressive we make sure we keep track of females that are getting funded females that are not getting funded and uh, so it was interesting to kind of see that mix and then there was a select group that said they still just didn't care like 
you know, we just fund whoever is going to be successful. And if it's not a woman, it's not a woman, you know, like that was the mindset of a, of a couple, like a select group of VCs that I, that I interviewed too. And so being a data person, of course, like I compiled all the data, put everything together, all of their insights. And then I also asked them like, what variables would you use if you were building a model to predict whether a startup would be successful or not? And I got this from like every single VC that I talked to. And it was so interesting because depending on the stage, depending on the fund size, depending on the industry, they all had different answers. Um, they all had different variables that they used. And so at first I was like, well, this is going to be challenging because it's going to have to be custom for each individual VC. And in a way, it does. It like they kind of do need to have a very targeted model. But the way that we ended up building the model was that we built it broad, but then we can customize the code depending on any VC run it through because the model predicts based off industry fund size um like success of like 166 different variables so we have 166 variables in the model we predict on 100,000 rows of data like over 100,000 rows of data and so the way that we built it it can accommodate for that customization without needing to do the high cost of customizing the model for each individual firm wow so could you are you able to share an example about what some of the variables might be for a particular fund that they're looking at that they want to see that you can include as part of the 166 sure definitely yeah so i mean we put whether the ceo is a female or male of course we put that into the model um we put into the model their revenue evident like all of their financial metrics they go into the model we put in their founding team because we have a lot of qualitative aspects that also go into the model. That's something else really important that I learned early on as I was interviewing these VCs. The qualitative aspects in those early stage companies are even more important than the metrics because metrics can change. The industry can change. Even the like market can change depending on how the startup pivots, right? Mm -hmm. But the founding team, depending on how solid they are, is really important. And they also wanted to know, like, is the founder capable of becoming a CEO? Mm -hmm. So that's how we put, like, we took organizational network analysis, really scraping information about the founder and seeing, like, who are they connected to? Who is their network connected to? So it's like their connections, other connections actually proved to be the most significant um, because it shows how they can grow and how they can expand even their own network and outside of their immediate network to get wow. um, the resources that they need. Um, so that's another reason why it's super important for female entrepreneurs to build and develop their network. And that's what I tell female entrepreneurs all the time is like, start connecting with everyone you can start meeting people, start talking to people, start adding people on LinkedIn add people on Twitter, just start connecting with people because that expands your network significantly and you have a higher predicted chance of success. 
Wow. So if you were to do a like a principal component analysis of all the variables that you included, the network of the founders network is one of, if not the most important. That's definitely one of them. Some other top um, factors that lead into the model that were actually kind of surprising. Um, some are not surprising. Some are kind of obvious. Uh, location of where the startup is, if it's in a tech hub or not a tech hub, actually does affect the predicted success of the startup. Another one is the year the company was founded or like this. And, and by the way, our dependent variable, the prediction fa factor of whether the startup is successful or not is multiples. Right. So that is the main like dependent variable that all the VCs use. So that's the one we put into the model. Mm. Um, and the, the startup has a higher chance of growing if they have more funding, right? It shows right. that in all the data. And so it's interesting that the year is a high predictor variable in the model because some years companies were valued more and some years companies were valued less, right? And it's a machine learning model, so it continues to learn every time a new company is put in and as the data changes, as time changes, the valuation of companies also changes. And it's interesting how the model changes depending on the date the company was founded. So that's also an interesting uh, predictor. That's a high predictor of success for the company. Um, okay, I just wanna clarify like for my understanding. So you have this model, it has the, vari the 160 variables that you said um, are the predictors. Um, you have like the top variables. Um, so once you predict whether a startup is going to be successful or not, like what happens with that? Like, is that then you go to the VC and say this, look, we have this data and this model and it's going to be successful. Is it something to do with the entrepreneurs? I just want to make sure that I'm understanding correctly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So then let's say we put a company through the model. Now there's two ways that this is done. It's done if the company needs to see where they're ranked, see where the what their score is, what their prediction is before they go out for VC funding. So this is like primarily early stage startups that have now gone through the legal diligence stage. They've put all of their different files into the data room. Um, our lawyer has gone through and kind of been able to say like, yes, this looks good. Um, after the natural language processing is doing that extraction. And then it's like the step right before they go out for VC funding. So they can see what variables they're doing really good at and what variables they need to improve. So it can make them more competitive and they can see where they compare to others in their industry. So that's one. And then two, on the other side, on the VC side, they use the model for due diligence. So when we're doing due diligence on a company, um, we'll run them through the model and that's part of the report that we give back to the VCs. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. So you said that this was trained on about a hundred thousand companies as training data. Is that correct? So it's 22,000 company, unique companies, and then a hundred thousand rows of data. Yeah. Okay. So all their financials, all their information. Yeah. Gotcha. So there could be like a time series element where you have a company that you have multiple points about how they progress. So you can see that if you're at 
you know, year six with this level of revenue and these founders and X, Y, and Z, then that's the higher or lower chance depending on the years before and after. Is that? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So we have 20 years of data. And so it can predict for the companies that have been successful, it can actually, that's what helps to train the model, right? Is Mm -hmm. the companies that have from start to finish gone through and exited or IPO'd. And then um, that is how we're able to train for for new models to come in or for new startups to come into the model. Right. And so did you consider when you were building, having a model for tech startups versus having a model for, you know, brick and mortar locations or other like services industries or to just make more sense to roll it up into one? I'm just thinking about if there was like a company that kind of bucked the trend compared to others, if that could be either ranked significantly higher or lower, depending on what the other companies in the industry did. Yeah, no, exactly right. And that's what I was saying earlier on with the customization of the models, like with each VC needing a very specific niche for their investments. Um, So yes, we have all of that data. So the 166 variables includes brick and mortar location, online location, it includes their website, it includes everything. And so the model is actually the one that determines which variables are making that company successful because it runs it through that machine learning process, the 100,000 rows of data, and it's being able to look at so many different data points that a human can't comprehend. It's just so much data and really kind of identifying what is driving success for that particular company or lack of success, right? It's also saying like, this is what's bringing them down. This yeah. is what's making them less successful. Gotcha. Yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. And I, have you read um, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell? Have you happened to read that? Say that again. Have you read the book Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell? I haven't. Okay. Because I, I was going to no. There's a very interesting parallel here where he describes in the book, there was a model built that takes in information about, uh, you know, alleged criminals and information about their case, their history and everything else. And then it makes a determination about, I think it was like either the amount of bail or the likelihood that criminal was going to be a repeat offender. And they put the model up against oh, a judge. Um, and they found that it was more accurate at predicting whether a criminal was going to repeat or whatever it was compared to the judge, which is kind of counterintuitive because you think that if you're able to look someone in the eye and understand who they are as a person, you'd have a better idea. So it's almost like a parallel here. I'd be curious to see if you can kind of stack up the model against the VCs yeah. to compare, because I'm I'm sure that a lot of what they talk about is they have a feel for how the entrepreneur is. They can kind of see how they carry themselves and what's interesting is I'm sure, you know, you said you have some of that data in the model itself. So I'm interested to see how those, those things compare. Yeah, so we actually do that, which is great that you, you asked. Yeah. Um, it's, called a con- it's called a confusion matrix. And so what we do is we take the number of times that a company would be successful, but they didn't invest. Mm-hmm. versus the number of times that they invested and the company wasn't successful, right? Mm-hmm. And 
And then we compare that with the model's prediction, the model predicting that a company was going to be successful and it wasn't um, versus the times that it said it was going to be successful and it actually was not. And so the confusion matrix will take the false positives and false negatives of both the VC and the model. And that's how we're able to show um, how accurate the model is. The model is 87% accurate. Wow. Um, And yeah, that's how we're able to do that comparison but yes it is good to be able to compare it to what a vc would be predicting and i do want to also highlight something that you said because i i was um at a duke panel where there there was something very similar to what you just described Mm -hmm. and the model was actually biasing it was um putting more charges on african-american males and it's interesting, like, why was it doing that, right? It was like a deep learning model. So mm-hmm. it was a little bit of a black box. They didn't understand. And it, and when you really think about it, the reason is it was based on historical data. So when you have a lot of historical data going into the model, then the model becomes biased because history was biased, right? right. So it's feeding it off of all of these different case and data points that were biased and so then it's predicting that more african-american males will be sent to prison um and that is also a challenge that we are facing in our in the vc industry right because a lot more women are going to be predicted to not be successful there's less data on successful female companies and so the way that we've handled that because we wanted to be very, very cautious and make sure that our model was not biased and it wasn't discriminating against women, um, was that we took a very, it's called SMO. It's a very similar method to what they used when they were doing modeling for the COVID vaccine, right? They didn't have a large population size of who had gotten the shot, but they needed to prove that the shot could work before they gave it the mass to the masses right Right. and so they use smoke to generate some data points to help compensate for the lack of historical data and so that's exactly what we put into our model to help compensate for the lack of female population in our data set so that it won't be biased toward uh, towards men or like taking away from women's success Right. Yeah, that's an excellent point about the, the delicate balance between training a model on historical data and then understanding why that data is the way it is in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. How long do you think that it will take to really see the success of this model? I know you said it's 87% accurate, but how long do you foresee it taking to actually like really see the results working, if that makes yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great, that's a great question. And it does take 10 years for a company to really like exit, right? From start to finish. Yeah, the start of a company takes about 10 years to really see if that company is successful after a significant amount of time. Now, in machine learning, we don't always have 10 years, right? And this is true for other cases. This like, Um, This is true in criminal cases, right? Like you don't have 10 years to really see if this is going to play out immediately. You start have to start using it and testing it right away. And so there's something called back testing, 
And that's what I was mentioning with using historical data to really see the companies that were successful. So we do an 80-20 split where you take away 80% for training and then 20% for testing. So it's trained on 80% of the data and then 20% the model's never seen that data. But we know the answers because we have the answers and we'll feed it that brand new data and then whatever it predicts on that brand new data and gets right or gets wrong, that's the accuracy rating of the model. And so that's how we're able to say like, this is an 87% accurate model because we back tested it and we actually know these companies were successful or not successful and fed it to the model. And that's what the model predicted based on that information. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so what are some of the variables that you don't have in the model right now that you would like to add or some ideas that haven't fully been incorporated yet? That's so, that's such a good question because those are actually some things we're uh, really working on building out right now. There's a lot of things that I want to add into the model um, that we don't currently have data on that we're working on getting data on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is... um, more of that organizational network analysis, really web scraping information about the founders, the founder's history, and being able to put that into the model because the founder is really the one that's driving the success of the company. And if you can understand a little bit more about the founder and their backstory and put that into the model, then you have a higher chance of being able to predict whether a company will be successful or not without a lot of revenue you know, with no revenue even, or with a, without a lot of like followers, even if you could be able to see the success rate of the founder and their determination, a lot of data shows that sometimes just like sheer grit is the most important for success. And it's not like always the smartest person in the room or the person who has all the resources or the person who has all the money. Sometimes it's just the person who can be determined and keep going when everyone else gives up. That's the person that is typically predicted to be successful. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm also curious to see what the interaction is between the founders and the model themselves. If I, if I were to check a model and see, you know, what it says, there's an X percent probability that we're going to be successful I'd be interested to see if some people kind of rest on their haunches after that and say, okay, we're doing a good job or others like, all right, this is a trip on my shoulder. The model doesn't think I'm going to be successful and I'm going to prove it wrong. So I, I'd be curious to see, yeah. if, or some people just, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. They, all right, it says I'm not going to be successful. And so then I'm going to abandon chip and move to something else. So I'd be curious to see what the human element of that is when they're interacting with the data. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question too. So the purpose of showing the startups the model is not to like tell them this is what your future is. That is not the purpose. The purpose is to empower them to change what the model's predicting. So it is to say like, these are the variables where you're weak, where your deficit, where it's predicting that based on the fact that you don't have X, Y, or Z, or you don't have a super strong founding team, if you can increase your the strength of your founding team if you can find like a solid co-founder who's strong technically you're good with marketing then you have a higher prediction of success so it's it's really helping the startups to improve and become more competitive 
not to tell them like, oh, you're not going to be successful or you are going to be successful. They can change the future based on what they choose to do and how they choose to manage their company and how they choose to make it better. And, and so that's the purpose of become more competitive so they can see the different variables that they're deficit in and they can go fix those and then change them. Now, that being said, I have had a founder so that's happened, right? And then I've had a lot of really successful startups be super excited about the model. So right. I'm sure you can understand like there's those kind of dynamics that happen. But at the same time, when you can start integrating advanced analytics into your process, you take out like some of the emotional aspect of it and you can focus on like, what do I enable to like really move their company forward in a tactical way that makes sense and not just some like, oh, I don't know what to fix. I think I'm going to fix this. It's like, no, these are actual things you can work on that are proven to make your company more successful in the future. Yeah, that's that's a great answer. It's almost like a coach for the yeah. for the entrepreneurs. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So is it limited to helping females or it's just mostly females? Yeah, so it's for everyone. We okay. help male, female, minorities, um, but it's especially to help women and females as that is very near and dear to my heart and then also because I want them to become more successful. I want them to get more funding. And so I feel like it especially helps them. I also noticed that, of course, in the data too, that female entrepreneurs are more successful initially because they have to bootstrap for longer. And then we saw around the 5X mark where um, men just kind of take off and women kind of plateau. And that's that's the point where the funding starts getting distributed is at that 5x mark um, when a company is multiplied by 5x. And so if women can start getting funding at that 5x mark, they could take off too. And so I really, really want to see those numbers change. I really want to see more females getting funded at that 5x. Absolutely. Yeah. So how long ago did you start Invest Capital AI? Yeah, so I started Invest Capital AI um, in December 2022. Wow. Right after I had done the Venture Capital Bootcamp. And then I had partnered with Anil, and he had actually built out the data room three years ago. So that company has been going for three years, and then we integrated it with Invest Capital. So it kind of had some synergistic growth up front because of that partnership. Yeah, well, that's an incredible amount of progress in, you know, seven, eight months. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so what have been the biggest hurdles that you've encountered so far during that time in, in trying to get it off the ground? Yeah, so I at first was really stressed about the data, like the data to train the model, the data to build the model, the data to feed the model. Like I was so stressed that the data just wasn't going to be there that it didn't exist. A lot of VCs told me that that data didn't exist. So mm-hmm. I really thought early on, like the data is just not there. It just doesn't exist. And it totally does. You just have to know where to find it. They uh, VCs don't know how to web scrape and I do. So that's great. And um, I have ways that I can get the data. And that's actually not as big of a problem as I had initially thought it was going to be. 
Gotcha. So in other words, there's no one repository of that data, but if you know, you know, which stones to overturn and how to web scrape, then you can, you know, collect that data for yourself into one coherent. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think that's one of the strengths of the company, right? We're not just using one data source. We're, we're pulling in multiple sources of data. And that really shows that models can be way more accurate when you're using multiple data sources instead of just one. So this is more of a general question, but what advice do you have for people our age that are looking to start something? Um, but also it could just be general advice too. It doesn't even have to be about entrepreneurship. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a huge believer in innovative di disruption, um, especially a lot of research that was done by Clay Christensen. And I, I truly believe that even when everyone tells you like, you can't change an industry, we've seen so many industries be disrupted over the years. Like for, let's just take Blockbuster, for example, like everyone said that Blockbuster was at its peak, at its prime. And Netflix even tried to pitch to Blockbuster and they turned them down. They said, no way. And there's a famous quote from this CEO and founder saying like, we were broken. We were like, you know, devastated. And we had no, we were hopeless and helpless at that point. And that's the point where the innovative disruption really happens. And the founders really find what they're worth. And that's where that endurance comes in, that grit that I was talking about, where they just keep going, even after everyone told them no. And they just find a way to make it work. And Netflix did pivot. They were like talking about like mailing DVDs, you know, and then they moved it to a totally digital platform continue even when everything was bad and everyone was telling them no is what made them completely put blockbuster out of business right they disrupted an entire industry and see, like everyone said you can't disrupt google that's a huge like behemoth there's no way you could disrupt google and then open ai comes out you know from this like guy who no one would fund initially because his product wasn't revenue generating and so ai wasn't generating revenue until just recently and so um lots of vcs were asking him like how are you going to actually make money with this and he's like well i was going to ask the model to tell me how to make money <laughs> with it. Uh, and everyone laughed at him but now like nobody's laughing at that everybody's using OpenAI now it's revenue generating but um it's just very interesting how that um dynamic can happen over time and how that innovative disruption can happen so my encouragement to anyone looking to pursue a non-traditional career path is like go for it go dis you can disrupt an industry you don't even know what you're capable of until you try it until you are very persistent about something you're passionate about. Find something that you love and the sky's the limit. And even if people tell you it can't happen, like so many people have told me, you know, women just aren't getting funded. Women aren't going to be funded. Like this is just the industry that VC is. Um, that's going to change. I know that's going to change. I'm going to try to change it. I'm working with so many other people to try to help female founders get funding because I'm very passionate about it and I see that's where it needs to head.
yeah, yeah that's awesome and I I love how passionate you are about it I could definitely just tell by the way you're talking so it's awesome that you're really going for it yeah definitely um yeah so could you describe for us how being in Darden and, and the iLab program how that's helped to catalyze um the mass capital AI and and you know how that's been a, an important factor yeah, so being in the Venture Velocity class was an incredible experience because it really helped me to see other founders and the pain points that they were facing. Like there's, when you're first starting entrepreneurship, it's easy to think like, oh, all of these things are just happening to me or you're kind of stuck in a rut in your own company, just like really focused. But when you can get out and see so many other entrepreneurs and the challenges they're facing, you start to realize like, these are similar, these are common, other people are feeling this same thing, you can talk about it. And it actually helps solve your problem. Because, like, let's say you need a web developer, and this other person also needed a website developer, and then they found one. And then you can collaborate and use their website developer. And so like, there's a lot of benefit to that collaboration. And learning more about Saris's research, Saris Sarvathi, and um, effectuation principles, really bringing that into your startup helps you to just manage risk better and really make your startup set up for success because you understand what so many other entrepreneurs had to learn the hard way early on. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely. Um... Yeah, I think I think we've experienced just in the past couple of months with the podcast how important the community, especially at UVA, is to be able to bounce ideas off and talk to people on the networking idea as well. So yeah, yeah. Def- definitely the networking, especially um, like everyone that we ask through UVA to do the podcast or anything related, like everyone responds so fast and says yes. Um, like it's been it's been awesome. Like. I think I knew before this how awesome the network at UVA was, but like this really, really has taken it to a whole other level. So, yeah, no, it's awesome. Yeah, you're right. It's great. Yeah. Um. All right. So one one question that we've been trying to ask all the guests is how how do you define success? Um. And how have you kind of wrestled with that over the past couple of months with with starting Invest Capital AI? Yeah, I would say um, that's a that's a good question in terms of like everyone defines success differently. Mm-hmm. For me personally, success is, am I happy with what I'm doing? Like, does it make me feel fulfilled inside? Do I feel driven by the purpose and by the mission of my company? And do I feel like I want to put my time into it? Because I'm not so concerned about like the success of the company. If, if something's not working, I'm going to pivot. If let's say even the product totally needs to pivot, it's like, okay, the models aren't working. I need to find something else. Then, um, then I will. So I'm not so concerned about that aspect of it, but what I am concerned about is like, is it making me happy? Is it making me fulfilled? Am I enjoying the journey? Or am I just hoping to like get the company exited? Because if I'm just waiting out for that, that's not true success to me. True success is enjoying every step along the journey. All the people that I'm meeting along the way, all of the growth 
that I'm able to experience for myself and for the company in the process, I get really excited by growth and obviously by metrics that are increasing my company's value and also seeing the followers increase every week. It just gets me very excited. And But at the end of the day, it's like, ultimately, is this making you happy? And is this making you feel fulfilled? And is this really driving what you want to do with your life? And I can answer yes to that every day. And to me, that's true success. Yeah, that's awesome. Really like that answer. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um. Yeah, so the, the other thing that we're trying to do with, with each guest and the theme of learning out loud is if you have any feedback for us about things that we could improve or um, just do better on in the future, um, you know, we'd love to hear that and yeah, love to any, know what the pain points yeah, are. Any recommendations, anything like that? Yeah. So I think you guys are doing great. And I, I want you guys to, so I'm excited to hear where you guys are going to go and what you guys are going to do. And I like, as I had mentioned in this interview, network as much as you can. Like I'm just, even with people that you don't think are going to be helpful to you, you never realize how someone could be the one person that changes your entire career later. And I've learned that throughout my life that someone that you think is totally different than you um, has no background or experience, maybe is a different age than you, um, grew up in a totally different environment sometimes they can bring the most unique perspective to you that you had never thought of and so um i just recommend meeting everyone and embracing them and continually networking and helping them because it will come back to you thanks for listening to this episode of learning out loud if you found anything useful please share with a friend to help us grow We'd also appreciate it if you could rate us five stars on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next week with a new episode.